Hey, movie fans, Dimitri here, part of the Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie, where we're going in, we're going in full throttle, boys, where we go rogue on Rogue One. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Hey, folks, again, it's Dimitri Panos here, Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie. Where today we talk Rogue One, holiday, the special holiday edition. <laughs> so, to my right, the lovely and amazing Marissa Serafini. Hey, Marissa, what's going on? Hello, Happy holidays. Me. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Hello, everyone. You can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV. And you can support me on Twitter at dmovies1701. So today we are actually going to be breaking down and discussing perhaps one of the more anticipated movies of 2016 and going into the holiday season. Mm -hmm. uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Not part of the uh, uh, Star Wars that we're accustomed to that, that features Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Chewbacca, um, but something like an offshoot. Sort of, kind of. Well, not sort of, kind of. It is. It's a it's Star Wars story. It's yeah. it's a it's a prequel. Yeah. Into it, the now what they they are now calling it Star Wars anthology. Correct. So, um, well, as we open up uh, every show, we always talk opinion. So, Marissa, what did you think of, uh, about a, the Star Wars story of Rogue One? Well, you know, uh, I you know I was a big fan of. I mean, I am a big fan of Star Wars. Granted, I'm not. As well versed in the universe as of lately because of all the different storylines and things are constantly changing. The canon constantly changes Star Wars. It's hard but to keep up? It is. <laughs> it is. Um, but I was always a fan of every single movie that came out. Uh, even the prequels, I, I'd like to admit that they are guilty movie pleasure movies for me. Um, but overall, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. At the end, I, I watched... The good thing about this movie is... It did a good job of establishing characters, and I didn't have as many questions watching, like, what's going on? Who's this person? How is this person connected to who? Compared to Force Awakens that came out last year, there were so many questions of already set established characters that we were trying right. to see how they were connected and what happened between all these years that we didn't see on screen. So there was those questions that, like, bothered the audience throughout the movie. This film... I thought did a really good job of establishing characters, and I never really questioned who each person was. Mm -hmm. Was like I knew who they were, and I knew what their mission was. And overall, it was fun. People are saying this is a war movie. It it pr pretty much is, and I think it had a nice beginning, middle, and mm -hmm. overall, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Interesting. Well, cool. Well, you're 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 definitely in the majority. Uh, okay, everybody, take your seats because I am a Star Wars fan. Been a Star Wars fan. Since day one, since since the original movie, before there was chapters, uh, I've been a Star Wars fan uh, since 1977. It, actually, and beyond, as a kid reading about this movie coming out and being the huge Star Trek fan that, that I am, this was going to be the next step in science fiction. There wasn't a lot of science fiction uh, that, that a kid like myself could get grounded in and really enjoy, so... Uh, yeah, I, I, this is coming from, from, from a fan and I understand that this movie has been revered as being 
one of the best Star Wars movies, if not the best Star Wars movie ever or since Empire Strikes Back. I don't think so. Um, Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was not a happy... I, I, I'm not a big fan. Um, and I think for the most part, uh, look, it showed Gareth Edwards, who uh, took over for Josh Trank, who was originally slated to direct this movie... Um, but I'm a Gareth Edwards fan. His his movies, Monsters, and then he's Godzilla. I was a fan of as a, as a as a storyteller, as a visual storyteller. I think he does a really good job. I think they picked the best director for this job to 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 take this over. Um, and I think visually, this movie looked fantastic. You would just you know you would I said agree. that right? Yeah, yeah. Visually, it was quite a spectacle. Especially, yeah. I, I like how. I mean. I don't want to keep comparing, but I feel like we're going to make a lot of comparisons. But, you know, Force Awakens did such a good job. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Job of like going back to the practicals, yeah. practical mm-hmm, sets mm-hmm. and stuff, and I think Rogue One did a good job of doing the same thing. Yeah, Even though it, there are a lot of shots that are VFX, but yeah, like, and, you can feel went back to the practical. And 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 later, I do want to talk about the controversy of some of those visual effects too. But um. You know, I, I enjoyed most of the performances. Uh, I, you know, it was good to see, you know, I think most of the performances were, were good up on the big screen. However, for me, I think what really, really this movie was hampered by extremely lazy, lazy writing that ties into the original Star Wars, A New Hope for you people who keep chapters, by just mere threads. And to Why me, lazy? Why the word lazy? Well, I'm going to get to that in a second because there was a there was a lack of detail that these were that the writers were not. I, I just couldn't believe what they didn't pay attention to for something that had been roadmapped out to them. And I'm going to get to that because I have everything bullet pointed out. So this, you know. This movie was fan service. It had a lot of cameos. It had a lot of like things that fans would go goo goo and gaga about, like Darth Vader's home on Mustafar, which was cool. Mm-hmm. I get it visually too. Gareth Edwards, the way he presented it, I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. I liked it, um, but it tells a story that's been Google mapped out since 1977. You know, the stealing of the Death Star plans. You know, since day one that Rogue One was announced, my thought had been, they steal the plans. Star Wars is based off of that premise of the stolen plans getting into the Rebels' hands. And I'm like, why tell a story where I literally already know how it ends? And the Rebels steal the plans. The Rebels transmit plans to Princess Leia's Rebel ship. And I'm going to get back to the word transmission because I find that very important in what I was calling lazy writing. And the Rebels, the Rebels who stole the plans die. I mean, they have to die from a logical perspective. Just for the mere fact, if you're a fan, you never hear of these characters again. Ever. ever. And it's the only logical conclusion. So 
basically a bullet point out in, in no particular like order. We'll talk about transmission. The writers obviously don't know what a transmission is. And I'm going to quote something from, from Star Wars and New Hope. And it comes from Darth Vader. And Darth Vader, in talking to Princess Leia, as they just take over the rebel ship of the Tantalus IV, don't act so surprised, Your Highness. You weren't on any mercy mission this time. Several transmissions were beamed to this ship by rebel spies. I want to know what happened to the plans they sent you. Now, this is coming from a character who witnessed and was part of what I call the relay race of death. Like, there was no transmissions being beamed. There was no ship-to-ship transmission. It was literally a data card being passed passed from Off. Rebel to Rebel, and everybody who touched it, Vader was housing seriously. It was a great scene, but I sat there going, wait a minute. That's but if you think about it, they did beam it from the, the base not to the, the ship. planet. To, to the up, base of the planet? to the other ships. Specifically... Several transmissions were beamed to this ship. Her ship, like why it was docked there, I have no idea. And you might be thinking that I'm very, like, that I'm being nitpicky, mm-hmm. but this has been established since 1977. I don't understand how the writers don't write around that because the character who witnessed what happened says something that happens completely different in Star Wars A New Hope. Because that's not what happens in, in, in Rogue One. That, to me, is a detail that it's, it's, already, it's road-mapped. If you're a writer, you got to go, okay, well, if he says this, then we have to incorporate. So you're, we have to put you're it in there. pretty much saying that there's some inconsistencies from what happened to big, what happens in A New Hope. Yeah, absolutely, because this leads so into A New Hope. The only comparison, the, the one comparison movie that I can give is uh, The Thing. I was thinking about this a lot because the movie The Thing, it's, there's a prequel that came out to John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel Ed- Edgerton. Yes, I know The Thing. And so that movie took such great TLC in ensuring that everything matched up per, like perfectly to John Carpenter's thing. So when that team goes to the Swedish Nordisk base camp, there was you can't say, oh, they, they messed that up. They didn't do that here. And this is a Star Wars movie. They should have taken time to like write around stuff. So my other problem is there is a plot point in this movie that is so character specific that if that character, and that character is the only person in this galaxy far, far away that could have solved the puzzle or the problem, and I'm referring to Galen Erso's codenaming the Death Star schematics, Stardust. Stardust. The only person who knows what Stardust could possibly mean would be Jin. That's it. Nobody else in the galaxy would know that. So he's supposing that at some point in time she's going to be looking for this, where he has no idea where she is. And she's, if she weren't on that exact mission, the rebels wouldn't have found the Death Star schematics that needed to be transmitted. She's the only person. So you're period. saying it was too convenient? It, well, no, I'm just saying it was. So, why didn't he just. You're in a hall of records, just call it the Death Star schematics. Because like, that's what they are. Because he, he was high up in. Uh, yeah, this is interesting. Because, you know, he's high up in rank. 
that they know what he's working on. I feel like all of his work is under lock and key, that everyone is like already so scrutinized, his, his work of whatever he's doing. So I, I can understand if he put it under a code name. That actually didn't bother me whatsoever. Yeah, that bo- because she's the only person in the galaxy that would find that out. And she did. But that's only because she happened to be there. Like, if she were on, like, she couldn't be on another mission because she's the only one who could figure that out. Because all the other people, they're, they're going down the list and they're naming things off. And then all of a sudden they do, oh, Stardust. And she goes, wait, what was that? Because nobody else knew what Stardust was. I find it really difficult to believe that you would codename something that the one person who you have no idea where that person is. That's the code word you use where nobody else could find it. That that did bother me. And then I'm going to get into the blind samurai guy. Uh, his name's Sharut, which has been a fan favorite. And I'm wow, a get, lot of things bother you. Oh, my God. Well, Sharut, uh, okay, he's a blind samurai. Okay, yes. we've never seen a blind samurai in television or movies before, right? I mean, it's a little bit like cliche. I've seen this character. I've seen blind samurais before. And I'm just wondering, is he in tune with the Force or not? What do you think? I mean, you can argue either way. I think he was Force-sensitive. He was very Force-sensitive. He he believed in the philosophy. He not, I don't want to say, like, let it control his life, but he, he let it help him in his fighting styles and whatnot. He truly believed in the entity and force that it helped him. Right. So, yeah, I want to say he might not have had, like, the formal training of a Jedi, but that doesn't matter because he there are a lot of characters within the universe that are force-sensitive but not necessarily Jedis. Right. I agree. And with that, I mean, his background story is he's, he's uh, what is known as the Guardians of the of the Wilds of the Wills, I believe. Yes. And, and these are people who guarded the Jedi Temples... Uh, the main, the original Jedi Temple, um, and they needed to be in tune with the Force in order to have this job, albeit they may not be Jedi, but still, they, they have to be in one way, shape, or form in tune with the Force. Obviously, he sensed a kyber crystal, you know, in a very crowded bazaar, okay? So then, why didn't he just at least show me an attempt for him to try to force pull that master switch, at least attempt. Like if you're in tune with the force, something like that might be something easy to do instead of taking the 50 yard walk where laser beams are like bouncing around him and not hitting him, which literally makes what R2D2 and C3PO do in star Wars, where they're just crossing a hallway. He's literally walking 50 yards and not getting hit, but at least show me an attempt with this guy's in tune to try to force pull that. If you were in tune with the Force, try you would do it. it. Yeah, um, I don't think it was necessary because I don't think that's what his character was supposed to do. His his character is known for physical combat fighting, I, I not get for it. force pulling. But why, I mean, there's no distinction. If you're able to, like, I get maybe as things. a fan that you just want to see him. Like, just try. I get that. I, like, I get try. your frustration. And if he can't do it because but he's the not... the fact that he didn't, I don't think, takes away from anything. Because it, I think it made his death at the end more satisfactory. Because he, he at least I physically just, attempted to I just to say, it's a simple problem to a solution. That at least try. And if it doesn't work, then he's got to go, okay, i got to walk I think it'd be also there. too easy to 
if you've you know, got because the force that on was your the side. whole that was the whole problem at the end it, like you have we have this manual switch mm. we have to get to it and had he force pulled i think it would have been too easy of a fix at the end be like okay yeah done sending the thing sending the files up the, the only thing i can say is at least try and if he can't do it then that that precipitates the walk and that makes the walk like okay this is something that i have to do i can't i'm not that i'm not as force sensitive as i believed i was i can't do it it's stuck i, I can't do it i don't have we, we're running okay. out of time let me walk let me do it and that would make the walk to me more dramatic because he couldn't take that route out Anyways. See, I thought the walk was dramatic enough because he already witnessed other people trying to get to it and failing. Yeah. So. I, I, it just, when there was a simple solution in screenwriting, right. go for it. Then, okay. Saw Guerrero. Do you have, this do you is have for, another problem? Oh, my God. It's, it's okay. yeah. Saw Guerrero. This is Forrest Whitaker. I think maybe we should get into the development a little bit. More. If like, you we'll, want. We'll but, talk about characters. Yeah, we'll later. talk about character. But, yeah, sure. <laughs> like I don't want to just start off the whole show with. Everything that bothered you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, again, I'm just going by, I believe this was, it was just lazy script writing that could have been better serviced uh, for fans, and you could have just tied it in better. Mm-hmm. I, I respect the fact that you're doing it, but you're picking a story where we already know what happens, and that's always hard. Um, you know, in the development of this, and I get it, you want to do an offshoot, and that seems like an ex- it's an exciting thing, and... This was going back decades, well, a decade at least, for the development of this movie. Yeah, more than a decade ago, John Knoll, the visual effects supervisor um, on the Star Wars prequels, had the idea of what if the Rebels, Mission Impossible style, stole the Death Star blue plans. And he told Pablo Hidalgo, who was part of the Lucasfilm mm-hmm. story group, about this idea. And he enjoyed it and pitched it to the rest, the remainder, um, Kathy who's also a big part of the Star Wars, the, the Lucasfilm sure. group as well. But, you know, they, they, they enjoyed that idea, and they, they enjoyed his pitch and went with it. Yeah, no, uh, yeah and I get it. And um, I just find that the, it, like, the whole process, like ever since Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm was bought by Disney, mm-hmm. Kathleen Kennedy, they obviously have, they have a roadmap. Like they, they know what they want to do. With, with with the Star Wars franchise. And, you know, I I, I have fa- great faith in Kathleen Kennedy. How can you not? She's a very revered, respected woman uh, in the industry. Uh, George Lucas handpicked her himself and yep. said, I want you to take this. I'm retiring. I want you to take this. And this is a woman who's worked with Lucas and Spielberg, some of today's greatest storytellers of all time. Um, and... You can tell from the get-go that when we get Force Awakens that there is a passion and that she's going to stay true to what perhaps even Lucas envisioned, but take it to the next step and do their best to make these Star Wars and, and keep fans happy. Absolutely. And, and, and keep the Star Wars franchise up and running. You know, other than just a movie every 10 years. So... Um, I, I can respect what, what she has done. And even with Rogue One, um, I remember at the Star Wars celebration, we could talk a little bit, too, that this is uh, this was a big deal. They were going to do a Rogue One thing, and, and uh, much to the chagrin and surprise to a lot of fans, Josh Trank, who was slated to direct Rogue One, uh, didn't, was not in attendance. 
at uh, Star Wars Celebration. And he had tweeted out that he was very ill when, in fact, behind the scenes, it's rumored that he was asked not to show up because they were figuring out what to do. Apparently, there are some issues on Fantastic Four. And uh, one of the people who worked on Rogue One uh, uh, had talked about, or he worked on Fantastic Four, brought this up to Kathleen Kennedy and company, and uh, Mr. Trank was no longer, his services were no longer required. Um, Which, you know, too bad for him. Bummer. But I think they went a great route in picking Gareth Edwards to to do this. And he's a kid in the candy store, too. Yeah, I mean, he's been a fan for years since he was a kid. He used to watch uh, uh, A New Hope the first 10 minutes of A New Hope every single day before school when he was a kid. So he, he's a big fan of Star Wars. This definitely means something close to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did a good job on Godzilla. That was a successful movie. So, you know, taking on such a big story like that and that type of canon that already has a loyal fan base. Oh, yeah. I think he could definitely handle the responsibilities of the Star Wars franchise as well. And how can you not be nervous going into it? You know, I mean... Doing Godzilla after doing a, a low-budget movie like Monsters, which is a great movie if you haven't seen it. I think it's on Netflix. Check it out. Um, then he does Godzilla, and while he's working on Godzilla and going through putting that movie together, he gets a call. I want to talk to you about uh, doing this offshoot Star Wars movie, and he didn't know where it was going to go. Uh, and he had his own movie to finish it, and he almost he almost didn't do it too because of of the pressures involved that could do it but somebody was like why wouldn't you take this Mm -hmm. it's like this could be well it's very career defining you don't want to be a person that's gonna tank the series but at the same time if you're the person who uh makes good money of it obviously i'm in the minority a lot of people like the movie you know it's a career defining moment and I think for him, I think it's great because it'll make me even look forward to more of his material uh, further on down the line. Because I think he did a really good job. And he kept the cadence, because I think he's a fan, he understood the cadence of a Star Wars movie, the flow. The, you know, that last, uh, the last battle scene, the, the dogfight scene. You know, he modeled a lot, too, uh, out of Apocalypse Now, his big war movie. Yep. And this, you said it up top. It's a war movie. But we have the TIE fighter. We have the, the we have the dogfight going on in space, trying to deactivate the shield down. It's very much like Return of the Jedi yep. uh, is what's going on. Bring down the shield. Bring down the shields. But he got the cadence. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is at least very important because there is a rhythm and a flow. And he didn't break from that. Which, which I appreciated. So I wanted to ask you, what did you think of No Opening Scroll? I thought it was interesting because, you know, again, uh, when I went into this film, we were like, I think everybody had the anticipation, like, ding, 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 you know, and we didn't get that. And I was like, okay, you can definitely tell it's a whole different story. Yes. Um, even though it's within the universe. But I wasn't as bothered by it. I mean, I was expecting it, but we didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And But it didn't bother me because yeah. I don't think... It was necessarily needed. It was yeah. more so, this is the story, just get into it, which leads up to, you know, obviously, right. A New Hope. Yeah. So it didn't bother me. Yeah, and surprisingly, it didn't bother me either, but I, I have a funny story. It like, actually wasn't originally in the script no, either. No, and, and, and I get it. Um, but funny story, when I saw the movie, uh, there was a kid who was sitting right behind me. So excited to see this movie. So it starts off, 
a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right. and I hear the kid go, cover your ears, because he was expecting the bam, and the Star Wars and the scroll, and it didn't, and it, and it didn't happen. He goes, and I literally heard him go, oh, <laughs> like that. And I, you know, I just had to laugh, but... Again, I think it was a wise move if you are going to try to, in a sense, differentiate yourself, not make it part of that Star Wars canon. It it, it was fine. Well, it's also it's like this is a you got to remember this is a whole brand new story. It's mm-hmm. Like there's really, if you think about it, there's no other other than like the prequels that happened years ago. But if you think about, it, there's nothing really leading into this one. This is the start of everything. Right. Yeah. Agreed. And. You know, Gareth Edwards uh, was going on about his conversations were really about the beginning and what characters were choosing and why. And he says something interesting. He goes, with Star Wars, you just can't stick up some spaceships and robots and call it Star Wars. Uh, In terms of what George Lucas did, it fell heavily on mythology and storytelling. And I like, at least from a direction standpoint, he stayed true to that mantra because it's true. There were so many ripoffs after Star Wars had come out. And there was only a very small handful of movies that were Star Wars derivative that might have been good, but most of them were just garbage because they just figured if you throw in a bad guy and some robots, we have a Star Wars movie. So, in effect, I think that Gareth Edwards, being a fan, he knew he knew what to do. And yeah. he knew, and he followed in the step of trying to build mythology. And any good war movie, too, you're supposed to have some good drama and some characters to care for. So I appreciated, uh, I, I appreciated that, that level as well. So um, we can go into the we can go into the writing. writing. Chris White's Tony Gilroy. Yeah, but in, initially scripted by Gary Ritter, who bowed out early in 2015, and that's how Chris Weitz got uh, involved. Um, and also, there there was a a rumor claim that the screenwriter Christopher McQuarrie did some work on the Rogue One screenplay when during the reshoots. Interesting. As well. I um, would like to see, I would love to see Christopher McQuarrie's take on, on a Star Wars movie. Any Star Wars yeah. movie, I think. It's a rumor. I'm not sure, yeah. like, for all those who are listening and whatnot, I'm not sure if it was actually confirmed if he was part of it, but I know that it was a very big, strong yeah, rumor that, I remember that too. he had involvement with the script. We afterwards. can dream. I mean, I would love to see his take uh, on a Star Wars movie. I mean, he could have ghostwritten, and that's why it's yeah. very rumored. Uncredited so, you know, right. more so. Uh, but obviously, for the people who, of course, because Star Wars, this in Rogue One, um, everyone's already like scrutinizing this movie and uh, have always been keeping up to date with it. But those know that they went through a massive reshoot yes. during this. Uh, that also changed a lot of the characters and the ending, of course, to this film. Um, but the whole completely different ending. Yeah, which which was interesting. That's another thing. Yeah, uh, uh, where where they had characters live uh, and such. Originally, originally, but again, that's the one thing that I at least applaud them for. Especially Gareth Edwards, who said, "Well." We, we never hear from these characters. We never hear of these characters. Like, they had to die. Because, think about it. If they didn't die, that means somebody either goes directly to the Rebellion and tells them what's going on. Or they go, they get captured by the Empire, and they're forced to tell, well, you know, you have a flaw in your Death Star. And then they're going to pasteboard it up, and then we don't have a destruction of the Death Star in the end. You have to remember that 
neither group, if you're watching A New Hope, neither group really knows about what this what this issue is this exhaust shaft there's a scene with Moff Tarkin in the original where somebody where the lieutenant tells him he goes you know we've analyzed their plan of attack sir and we we see that there is a weakness would you like us to prepare your shuttle mm. they find out about it then the rebellion when they look at the plans they're like Hey, we, we they've analyzed the plans, but there's no you know I would figure that 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 Galen Ursa would be a rebellion hero if you know he worked as a spy in the Empire and he put this in the Death Star, but we don't hear from him. So when all of these characters died, and they made sure they not only died, but then they got rid of all the remains. <laughs> Because then they scorched the planet anyways. So I just found that to be very, very interesting. But it makes logical sense to do it. And and Gareth said he was surprised that Disney allowed them to do it. Well, if you think about it, it's a very dark... It's a darker ending with so many deaths. And, like, we... I, I think the surprising thing with this film is that they, they established so many likable characters. And then they kill them at the end. And I was more surprised just as a viewer. I was like, oh, there's not one survivor. There's not one or two survivors. And even Gareth Edwards was like, well, he was expecting just a note from someone to be like, okay, there's a scene where Jin and Cassius um, go off on another planet and they actually survive. But no one gave him that note. Right. And they're like, oh, no, we got to go with everyone's death. Yeah, and... You know, my whole thing, too, though, and, and you would I think you'd have to back me up on this, too. Disney is not I don't Disney is not afraid of, quote unquote, dark. You know, look at Bambi. Look at the Lion King. We talked about it in live action Jungle Book. Like they Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Those are the kids pictures. Like cutting a heart. Like these are kids pictures. And Disney can dispatch parents very easily. Mm-hmm. In their movies, so I wasn't surprised, especially when you're taking the logical route. Um, that's what Disney does. Like Disney is able to do that, but by the dark, they make the good look so much better. Um, I think when you do that, and again, in this, it's just a logical, it's a logical ending. They 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 had to die because they just don't exist in our in our later movies. But I found it interesting that they were toying with. Perhaps having to deal with somebody passing them a note uh, as to, well, you got to do this. Like, and, and I'm just, I'm glad it worked out the way that it did, is yeah. what I'm saying. It makes sense, you know? And, like, if you think about it, like, look at it at surface level and face value, yeah, it kind of does suck that everyone died. But in storytelling and in character development, it makes sense that that was the it and that was their story and that's what they contributed to the universe mm-hmm. and that's how it got the whole new hope started right and the other thing too is we have to like ever since Kathleen Kennedy took over there has been a major major focus on canon mm-hmm. what's canon what's not canon and they jettisoned a ton of material and said we are restarting anew with things like rebels with certain books uh and we're going to start in you. We know it's canon. We know that, that Clone Wars is canon. Rebels is going to be canon. All comic books, you know, on or around Force Awakens are all now canon. So 
it's it's interesting that they actually have people who are making sure that things are going in a pathway that if you pick something up, you know that it's going to be it's it's set. It's set in the Star Wars universe of things where there were a ton of books prior to Force Awakens that all of their storylines got jettisoned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it's it's very interesting and in how they're they have to make sure. Uh, and that's the other thing about it. they have to make sure that these things fit into the canon of the Star Wars universe because they sort of kind of want to map it out to be a Marvel universe as well. You know, I mean, we're going to get the Han Solo stories and all the other character stories that all are going to tie in. And they need to be very careful, I think, about how it's as careful as Marvel is. They need to be equally as careful to to make sure that things line up. Right. Exactly. Um, should we talk a little bit about the actors and their Absolutely. involvement with this? Felicity Jones, I mean, she she's having an amazing career now. Hmm. Obviously, back in 2005, she got Academy Award and nominated for The Theory of Everything. So she... 2000 and... Was that... That was in 2005. Yeah, 2015. Did I say 2005 numbers? Sorry. Um, 2015 <laughs> last year. Yeah. Um, she's getting, like critical acclaim for her acting performances and stuff. So, and this is kind of on the flip side of Theory Everything. That was a very dramatic role. This is very action kind of packed, even though her character does have some dramatic moments and whatnot. I thought she did a really great job for a strong leading lady in this film. And I was like, I don't want to keep harping on this, but I like, I do love the fact that Hollywood is progressing to stronger female protagonists in this film. The fact that like Force Awakens had a strong female protagonist. This one has a strong female protagonist and I really enjoyed her. And I think she has the physicality um, to play this role and the kind of like the, the attitude and the gravitas of taking on a role that for someone, I believed her performance as someone who was abandoned, mm-hmm. but still they kind of formed her life and like shaped her to who she is and how she is a fighter and how she does have strong beliefs in herself. And I think Felicity Jones did a great job. Yeah, I like. I mean, let's. I think she carried. Um, uh, uh, I think she carried the theory of uh, theory of everything that was what it was called, right? Theory I think she everything. carried that movie. I mean, she was. She uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I really believe, uh, and she's a fantastic actor, actress, actor. Um, you know, wasn't a fan of the Inferno movie that she was in, but that was of no fault of hers. Uh, and and seeing her on screen here, yes, I do believe that she's 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 she has a charisma when she's on screen. You want to watch her. You want to watch her talk. You want to hear what the character has to say because she's doing it. Um, I felt that the character, though, I mean, at the very end, she had to be saved by Cassius. I didn't buy their relationship. Cassian. Cassian, I didn't buy their relationship all that much. Uh, And I don't think, again, it wasn't because of the actors. Um, And her, her all of a sudden just, she she was sort of kind of just thrust into being a rebel. She didn't really care. She was in prison. Um, one of the scenes that, you know, they had to break her out of prison. Um, she gets brought to Yavin 4. And, you know, her father dies, but it was only then that she's like, well, we got to do this. And I think she earned, I don't know, she all of a sudden started to become a leader and people like Mon Mothma and such started listening to her. I'm like, wait a minute, she just came out of nowhere. 
Like how are? How but that's is she the thing. Becoming... They didn't listen to her. They didn't. But they shot it... her down but to the fact the that end... her and her own guys had to go off. And they go know. off, and then all of a sudden the rebellion finds out. Oh, there's fighting on. Uh, I forget the name of the planet. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're going to send the fleets, and I'm like, wait, you just said no. <laughs> it was just very interesting. I liked. I just wish she was given a better ending. Um, and I and I wish she wasn't saved in a sense by by Cassian. Like I wish she dispatched uh, things on her own because she was such a strong character and she had a great verve about her. She could be sarcastic. She was humorous. I loved her her banter with the robot. Like I thought that she was great. Um, and and again, she could deliver the lines. I wanted to see the scene that was in the trailer but never made it into the final thing. I wanted to see what was going to happen with her squaring off in the trailer. There's that scene where she's on that catwalk and the TIE fighter comes up. Right. And, you know, and again, we talk reshoots. Um, you know, I, I wanted I wanted her, I wanted that character to earn it a little more. But on the whole, I really do enjoy watching Felicity Jones. I think she has, to your credit, and to your point, I mean... She is a very good actress that she should be getting these kind of strong woman roles, whether it's in an independent film. But I like seeing her in these commercial films because we need more women like her in roles like this. Uh, agreed. Um, I, I think she was fun to, fo- to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she was strong enough of a person to follow because you can clearly tell who she was at the beginning. They established her as the daughter of a very important figure. Um, who's a part of the whole Death Star plans, and to use her as leverage, um, that was completely understandable. Um, to follow her to now, as a, an adult on this mission, to go find her father to stop this, the Death Star from being completed, I believed it. And mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I think she was interesting enough to follow throughout this yeah. whole film. Now, you found a very funny story, and I, I, I think it's really funny, too, because everybody gets asked. Whenever, whenever you're an actor, it appears, and you're, you're cast in a Star Wars movie, what you're inevitably asked after filming is, did you get to keep something? Yes. <laughs> she kept her boots. She kept her boots. <laughs> she says, I have her boots. I wear them to the park when I'm going for a walk. I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> <laughs> she died with her boots on, and she got to keep them. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That works. Yeah. Um, and the good thing with you know her role, that she... Jones actually began her martial arts training while she was filming another movie, and uh, she wanted to bring an element of dance into the, her fight scenes. So she would listen to music by M.I.A. and Florence and the Machines to get ready for filming. Yeah. Which that's an interesting influence. Yeah, I can absolutely. I can actually understand that. Well, like sure. Florence and the Machines, definitely for sure. Yeah. I can see the how that impacted her performance. Yeah, yeah, and M.I.A. as well. But yeah, no, I just find it it, it gives a rhythm to her. To her fighting style. Um, and, and again, she when she's on screen and when she's doing the action, I was paying attention. And that means she, to me, that, that means she has a great charisma, an on-screen presence that, regardless of what she does, if, I'm, if we're talking that she's taking, you know, she's, she's shouldering theory of everything, and now she's in this movie, you know, I can't wait to see what else she does further on down the line because I do think she has that charisma when she walks on screen. You like to watch her. Mm-hmm. She's very easy to watch and she's good at it. So, 
Yeah, overall, <clears throat> I did enjoy her performance. Talk about Diego Luna, Cassian mm-hmm. Andor. Now, like, what I liked about these film, that this particular film, it introduced so many characters that we didn't know of and, like, how they fit into this universe. And I, I had a fun time, like, learning who everybody was. I think there are a lot of people out there saying that there were too many characters there in this film. Like, it, it kind of is an ensemble film. But each of these characters were kind of memorable in their own mm-hmm. in their own ways. And I, I, I enjoy Diego Luna, um, like, as an actor. I think he's, super, like, really great in the other films that he's been in. Um, but what did you think of him? He was fine. I mean, I, did, I didn't dislike him. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think this is, an, is very much an ensemble piece. You know, it really, uh, it really is in the sense of even more so than, you know, in Star Wars we have our small band of characters: Luke, Han, Leia. Uh, you know, we had Obi Wan Kenobi, <laughs> but this one we have a lot of people, and they are all. It's tough to corral because they all have to have their scenes. And Diego Luna was fine as the, he was almost the, roguish Han Solo in a sense. Um, yeah, he he was fine. I felt he, you know, I mean, I know he's talked about how he was happy that Star Wars has diversity now and 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 such, and you know, he was proud to be part of this legacy now. And why wouldn't you be? Because you are now part of the legacy, whether or not you know your character continues in the future. Uh, you are part of a huge worldwide legacy that's going to last and live on forever and ever. But now we're going to get into who my favorite character was, and that was Alan Tudyk's K2SO. K2SO. Another <laughs> kind of lovable droid, but, like, you kind of hate to love him. <laughs> um, well, the thing is, like, he was, our, like, what I enjoyed is that they, this was probably one of the first droids that has been established that you probably wouldn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I liked his personality change throughout the film. You're like, okay, you, you're you rooting for him at the end. I right. mean, he is a droid. He's a droid, and what I, what I, and here's a Star Wars, again, I'm a fan. He reminded me of a character in one of the uh, older uh video games called Knights of the Old Republic and there's a droid character that is very sarcastic that goes along with you through the adventure and I, I forget the name of that droid's name but he that this K2SO reminded me of that because he was so sarcastic and I loved it and I also loved like when when uh, uh, Jin was escaping mm-hmm. from the prison thing and she dispatches these people, and she goes to run out, and he just takes his hand up, puts her down. He's like, I hope you're comfortable. We're trying to break you out of prison. <laughs> yeah. And Tudyk's delivery of his lines were fantastic. I love the fact that I didn't realize until research that it was HK-47 capture. is his it, name. It, it, the, the drawer that you were thinking of from the game. Oh, okay. Thank you. HK-47. He reminds me Thank of you. HK-47. Thank you very much. And... Um, but I didn't realize it was a lot of motion capture. Like, I, uh, yeah. So he had to be on set. He had to interact. Um, you know, I really, uh, yeah, it was great that Alan Tudyk actually got to be front and center. And I'm yeah. a f- fan of Alan Tudyk since Firefly. I, I, yeah, I think he's a great uh, comedic actor, yes. you know. Um, 
he yes, yeah, so you mentioned motion capture, but which meant he had to be acting in a beanie and a body onesie <laughs> ba- while balancing on stilts on top of prosthetic feet in the desert. No less. <laughs> so I mean, that's quite a accomplishment in and of himself. I think he's great because I think the the delivery of the the one liners from K two S L were so on point and great comedic timing, and I think that's just a testament to Alan Tudyk, the actor not the character of K2SO. Yeah, and throughout history, you know, there's a handful of robots that have personality, whether it's Robbie the Robot from Forbidden Planet or B9 from Lost in Space. Uh, But then, of course, we've got the Mutt and Jeff act of R2-D2-C-3PO from Star Wars. And, you know, R2-D2 talks in his beeps and whirs and clicks We don't understand from a language standpoint, but we understand what he's feeling and what Star Wars has, what I think they've greatly done. And then with the inclusion of BB-8, they've Mm -hmm. given these droids personality. And because of the personality, regardless of whether we understand their vocabulary, and and, and K2SO speaks, you know, he, he speaks English, but it's because of their personality that we gravitate towards them and then we end up liking them and we'll laugh with them. And, you know, he's a, he was an Imperial droid reprogrammed, which he's happy to tell you. Um, but I, every time that, that that robot was on screen, to me, the best, you know, that added the humor in this movie that I really appreciated. And he did, the great thing about K2SO is that, like, he did play a big role in this film. Sure. Like, he helped them get mm-hmm. through, you know, security and well, because of his appearance that they didn't really question him because he looked like he was yeah. still part of the Imperial, um, part of the Empire and stuff. So, like, I, I like the fact that he helped in ways that other people couldn't. And um, at the end, when, like, he helped them when they were in the control room. Yes. And he was fighting off all of his own people, per se, but the fact that, like, they shot him down, I was like, oh, no. We... Like, I actually felt for him when they yeah, shot him I, away. Yeah, I did, too. But we I'll go to a, an earlier scene in the movie where um, Felicity Jones, where, where Jin, Jin. Dis, Jin dispatch, dispatches of an Imperial droid, very similar. <laughs> and she takes that droid down with one shot. And then it takes him, like, 100 shots before. But I love the line up where he goes... You did. You, you you obviously knew that that wasn't me, right? <laughs> and she's like, "Yes, totally." <laughs> it was yeah, a yeah. very funny because, and the look of horror on her face when he shows up behind mm-hmm. the droid she just dispatched. It, that was a really good scene. It was very well comedically timed from a direction standpoint, and again, as you said, from a dialogue timing standpoint as well. It was yeah, a very funny scene. It was also great because it was followed up five minutes before that. I was like, "Oh, you probably would have shot me," you know. Like they they were already bantering back and forth that they would right. probably shoot each other just because right. they didn't like each other. Yeah, and the fact that she did it. On accident, but right. fortunately turned out that it wasn't him. <laughs> I think it made that joke funnier. Yeah, it worked. It had more impact to mm-hmm. it. Um, I really enjoyed it. I mean, we, we can talk about Donnie Yen. You didn't mm-hmm. really enjoy Church, no. but I did. Yeah, Donnie Yen is awesome. Have He's you a... ever seen the Ant Man movies? Oh yeah, yeah. He's yeah. badass. No, I, listen. I, it, this is not. What I have to say, what my dislike is, is not in performance. It's just about the writing. And Donnie Yen, I'm a fan, and I know that the Sherwood is a huge, he's been a huge fan favorite 
um, him and his 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 partner in crime. And I get it; they're the yin and yang of pe- of war and peace. You know, his um, I forget what uh, the character that he travels with uh, his name is, but no, the, the actor Jang. <clears throat> yeah, and and he again, I get it; they are the yin and yang together, and they work together they as, as they balance out. each other out. And I and I and I get that. And I have no problem with Donnie Yen. I just have a problem with the way certain things were written. And for me, it's a little bit cliche to have a blind samurai. Because I've seen this before in movies. You know, he's the blind monk who has, you know, he, he has the, the answers and the soothsaying. And, yeah, I just wish. I think, it was you know, I think it was good that, like, yes, he was force sensitive. But, no, he was not a Jedi. Because that's also the good thing about this film that. Yeah, we love the Jedi, so we see them every single movie, but the fact that this one purposely didn't have any, I think it would have been more true to his character that he wouldn't do a Jedi move. Well, you just mentioned something that made me think of you. Because what this movie does is it showcases the quote-unquote the force uh, as what we've always heard it as being as a religion. You know what you understand what I'm saying? Right. So people looked from the very beginning of the movie when the mother hands off the kyber crystal to Jin, you know, uh remember the force or, or stay with the force. It these people understood the force, but from this more from another spiritualistic way. It was another interpretation. It really was the force for these people where they may not be training to be Jedi. But it was more of a religious kind of. We believe in Earth. We believe in all life beings and how every entity has its power. And um, even in Star Wars: A New Hope, you know, hokey pokey religions, uh, you know, ain't uh, you know ain't, ain't, ain't get anything. A good blaster by your side. Han Solo says that. So uh, this movie really showcases, outside of the Jedi realm, how the Force can be looked upon and is looked upon as a religion. Which I thought was interesting. What, what was your take? Because we always, you know, I, I know when we talk religious movies right. and, the, and the symbolism involved. What was your yeah? What was your reaction? I liked it because you know it helped him survive for so long, right. like because he believed in something for so long, and he accepted his fate at the end when he realized this might be the end, and that was his last, probably the most courageous act he's ever done was to go those fifty yards to s- switch the console. Um, I enjoyed it because it because most of his character was his his fighting style and his personality. Like force was a part of him, but it didn't like purposely drive him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it was like necessary that he had to know everything. Right. He just believed in it enough to keep him going. And he guarded the force. I mean, he was one of those guardians who had to guard a temple. And I actually, again, this is of Gareth Edwards' uh, uh, visual prowess. There's that overhead shot in the desert where you see that mm-hmm. that broken statue of a fallen Jedi knight, uh, literally a fallen Jedi knight, which I found to be very interesting the way that it was shot. It adds new texture and landscape. Um, and I thought, uh, yeah, again, his visuals, Gareth Edwards' visual style was really on, you know, it was fantastic yeah. in this movie. Um, 
Overall, I, I like the fact that Donnie Yen won this in his film because in this particular film, what I thought was interesting that I didn't really think of uh, until I did the research is like he almost passed on this role. But he was flattered by the offer, but he didn't want to be away from his family mm-hmm. for months to film in London, which is completely understandable from a family aspect. But he did talk to Gareth Edwards. He's like, okay. Um, he, he said very blatantly, like, uh, why do you want me to be in your, your film? The China market? the Asian markets, and I didn't really think of that as like a business perspective, that this would also be really big in China. And Danny Yen, we know him on the the Western front for his Ip Man movies, but he does have a big presence in China. Absolutely. And I think that can also help this film internationally. Oh, I I mean, without a doubt, I think there was, you know, there has to be a little bit of reasoning behind that. And China is proving time and time again that its box office dollars that it pulls in, it's pretty big, like extremely huge. So, you know, we'll talk about numbers, but already internationally, and I'm not entirely sure if this has opened up in China yet, but internationally this movie is doing extremely well. And I think it's in, in a major part because of those words, a Star Wars story. But also the you know the diversity in its cast as well I think has some draw. But in China, I think uh, Mr. Yen will will pull in some big fans. I think it's definitely you know? smart to have you know Absolutely. a more international and, and he was audience. thinking about that, and I find that very fascinating. I see, yeah. and I wasn't, <clears throat> and I find that very fascinating. Yeah. So good for them. Um, Forrest Whitaker as Saw Guerrera. Um, I love Forrest in whatever role that he does. I. Uh, admittedly, I don't really know this the Saw Gerrera's character, but other than the fact that he was introduced in the Star Wars animated, the Clone Wars. Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was an established character, and Gareth Edwards, um, you know, worked to get him his character into Rogue One's story. But Forrest Whitaker, I wasn't sure. Like, I had a, actually a difficult time of how his character was established because I wasn't sure if he was someone we should trust or someone we should fear. And I don't know if that's just the physicality and the presence of this character because he does look menacing. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure if I should trust him. I'm not sure if right. he's part of the rebellion or if he's part of the empire. Yeah. And so I was trying to figure out. I was like, okay, he's friends. He He's a mentor and a father figure pretty much to Jin. So right. in some way, he's good. But I think I was just having an issue if I should trust him or Mm -hmm. not. I agree with you about Forrest Whitaker. I think as an actor, he too has a he's he has a unique casualness on screen, and he can be likable, but he can also play a decent bad guy. You know, I I remember him from the Panic Room. Um, But there is something about him, and he he can be soft spoken, and it's and again I've used this word before. There is a cadence to the way. He performs that makes him unique on screen. And I enjoy seeing him. I had similar issues with this character. And again, knowing a little bit of the background in Clone Wars where he tragically loses his sister. And and if 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 memory serves, it was by his own hand or by his own actions. So that is something that has haunted him. My biggest problem was... What was he doing in this movie? That is where I was having... I didn't know what he was doing in this movie and or why. Um, and that was... You know, he's, he's there's a defecting Empire pilot 
who I believe Galen sent to find him. And I'm trying to think, like, to what end? Like, I just, I just, yeah, I just couldn't figure out his main purpose. I mean, and then there was this scene where he has dialogue with this character that looked like a, uh, looked like it came out of, like, he was a, a guild pilot from Dune. And I didn't, like, I was, I was just wondering, like, where there's so much cut out of this movie that, it was leaving things or his character fixed. got or, changed or, so much in the movie. Yes. And and I wonder cuz it almost seems that there were times that this was cut with a jigsaw. I can say because I believe the news came out today that Forrest Whitaker is going to reprise Sagarera in mm-hmm. Star Wars Rebels. Star Wars Rebels. Yes. So Rebels is going to uh, have that this character will air come back. on January 7th, yeah. 2017. So so I find that very interesting. And I also I I'm a huge fan of Rebels. I, see, those are characters that I'm attached to. I like those characters. The mere fact that they Easter egg them into this movie, I sort of kind of love to. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I just like what they're doing with Rebels. I don't know where those stories are going. And, I'm, and I have been loving the growth of those characters in Rebels. Um, so I thought it was really cool that they Easter egged them into Rogue, into Rogue One. You know, with the ship Ghost, and uh, they even call out Captain Sedula. Uh, yeah. You know, in the thing. So, so that was pretty cool. They did. Um, I, another character that I like, I surprisingly really <clears throat> like, but some from the people I've been talking to, some like was kind of hit and miss. Really? Uh, Riz Ahmed, who mm-hmm, played mm-hmm, Bodhi, mm-hmm. Bodhi Rook. I liked him because he kind of reminded me of Finn a little bit in ways. The fact <laughs> that like his character also defected. Defected. And but also played an integral role in everything and helped um, helped them get into where they needed to be into Scarif, and also helped trans transmit. I know you don't like the word, but transmit the data up to the ships to the powers that be that needed it. Um, he played a big role for me, and like I, I was really worried because you know they tortured him in that one scene. I was like, oh no, is he? He is. A vital character who can be very useful to us, mm-hmm. and then I, I'm kind of glad it didn't really mess with him. It just kind of put him off balance for a little bit, but right. it didn't really affect his character. He wasn't really brainwashed or anything. No, no, and and he's a you know he's an interesting actor as well. Uh, he was in this um, the, the the HBO series uh, like the night before the, n- the, night, the night of the night of um, where he really you know made his bones. A lot of people saw him for the first time uh you know again the character for me it's not that i dislike the character it was just wondering if it was necessary he he played his part well you needed some semblance of a pilot and this again this to me was a little bit of a misstep in the writing whereas he was the one Bodhi was the one who names them rogue one but i think it would have been more apt if it were felicities if it was Jin's character if you're going to be the leader, she should be... Like, they should have had her name them Rogue One, but it comes from Bodhi. Again, that goes back to the writing. Nothing to do with the performances. Uh, you had found that um, he was putting his himself uh, on tape for a scene, and he was so obsessive that he would keep on changing ideas. <laughs> and then he was coming down to, like, 12 takes over a few days in accents and everything. I'm glad they finally whittled it down. Yeah. And then he, he was worried because he kept sending those, <clears throat> you know, to Gareth. And 
And Gareth actually said, you don't need to send me any more tapes. Please don't do that anymore. So Bodhi was thinking, was like, oh, no, I ruined it. I screwed it up. And then actually it was a while later that Gareth called him back. and uh, During the Star Wars during celebration. During the Star Wars celebration in Anaheim and let Bodhi know that he actually wanted him to be part of yeah. the movie. Yeah. Um, even after the after the first take, mm-hmm. so like from the first get go, <laughs> like he wanted him, yeah. Despite all the changes, yeah. so yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, got, it also shows that you know that these actors who are also part of this like really wanted to be a part of this movie. It's not for a paycheck; it's because that they actually do really, truly enjoy what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, they are. Go, you know, going forward, they know that they're part of a legacy. Their characters may not survive, but, you know, if at the very least, they've got careers in the convention circuit to last them to the end of days. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if, if if the acting sort of dries up, they can go to convention upon convention, and the fans are going to turn out in, in so much love and support. That's the thing. Even if you're a bad guy... You know, like a Boba Fett or the guy that plays Darth Vader, the fans will show up in such love and support that you'll always have that with you, uh, whether your character is still around or not. So we haven't talked about Ben Mendelsohn. Yeah, no, he's great. So what? Do, yeah, what did you think about him? Um, I like I enjoyed his his character. He was scary at some parts that needed to be. And but like he had such gravitas that mm-hmm. I was kind of like I would not want to be in the same room with him. And I think he did a Agreed. great job of being that character in authority um, because we're so used to Tarkin, right? Um, from A New Hope and like what he established that he could go face to face with Darth Vader and you know not really have any qualms. But to have like another character in like that kind of high up position also right. stand his own ground that. We shouldn't take him lightly either. Mm-hmm. I think Orson he did. Krennic. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he did a great job. Yeah, again, he had... Okay, again, I felt that he nailed his performance. Um, he definitely earned that white cape. Uh, again, I think the way that the character was written, he just, every turn, he just seemed to fail. Like... I can't keep, you know, I can't keep these rebels at bay. I can't keep information from getting out. I can't keep a, a dissenting pilot from escaping. It's just failure after failure after failure. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was like, this guy is failing at everything. I wonder how long it will take Death, Bar- Death Vader to kill him <laughs> because Which, of his failures. Right, and always, you know, I know in the theater that I started when he, okay, it's really... To me, it was just a very interesting how the scene played out because he wanted to go. Krennic wanted to go, go leapfrog over Vader and go to the Emperor, and Vader's like, "No, not how it happens." And you know, then then Vader puts the chokehold on him. Mm-hmm. And I know in my because uh, I had seen it, I watched this movie Thursday night when it opened, and people were applauded. Not I don't think because of the 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 the, the potential death of Krennic, but just because it's of just the chokehold. it's something expected yeah. from Darth Vader. Yeah, and his it, and it was great because Darth Vader was, was his back was to the audience, mm-hmm. and when you go around, you saw his hand had that thing. In the so, position of yeah. choking, but like you you were kind of expecting it to happen, and then once it happened, you're like, something. yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and in the music and the track listing on the soundtrack, uh, that mm-hmm. part is called Krennic's aspirations. Oh. <laughs> it's a Michael Giacchino pun. It's very, <laughs> yes, I'd say Krennic's failures is more <laughs> a f- 
appropriate. But Ben Mendelsohn was, again, he had a presence. He always has a presence, but he had a presence as, I guess, who is, you know, he's he's a villain in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's calling all the shots to destroy planets. Mm-hmm. It's like, he's not a good guy. Yeah, no. Um, but let's get a little bit into the production and cinematography, yes, shall we? Absolutely. Um, what I liked about it is like the the cool thing about the Star Wars universe is that you can go to so many different planets with drastically different looks. Sure. And I definitely felt that, and from planet whatever planet that they they were on, <clears throat> whether it be Jedha or Scarif, um, I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. Mustafar looked badass. Well, Mustafar was great because we saw something. It's it's def- again. This is fan service. We we know that Darth Vader. It was born there in a sense when Obi Wan Kenobi cuts off his yeah. arms and legs and leaves him there to die. It's the start. <laughs> it's when he becomes Darth Vader. Uh, going back there, the way that that was filmed, and we just see in a sense it's like a temple, like castle, like a castle. And going in there, and there's the rem- like there's Darth Vader in the back to tank, and you know we see we see the pumpkin head that we've seen in Empire Strikes Back, mm-hmm. and even Return of the Jedi. It was a cool scene because it's the first time since um, Revenge of the Sith that we've been back to Mustafar, and that Darth Vader considers that his home. <laughs> Yeah, now it's his home. Yeah. And it's also just kind of just showed like how terribly scarred <clears throat> Darth Vader is now. Yeah. Anakin Skywalker is yeah. now. Um it was a, a neat shot. Uh I, I like the, the castle just it looks so menacing and you can definitely tell Darth Vader is just at this point he's just truly a dark person. There's no one in his life trying to change him to the good side. Then Anakin, I mean, uh, Luke Skywalker hasn't come into the picture yet to try to change him. Um, so right now he's just pure evil. Yeah. And it's badass. Uh-huh. Yeah. V- yeah. Very much so. Um, um, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, the g- different cool locations. We had the, I'm, I'm going to butcher this, Renisafijara. <laughs> yep. Iceland, Ice, yep. which was the the Black Sand Beach, which is actually <clears throat> a big tourist area. Mm-hmm. Um, we got Krafla Iceland, La, the Lamur Atul Maldives Islands, uh, Beresdu Islands, which is also in Maldives, the Canary Wharf Station that played part of the um, the Death Star mm-hmm. locations as well, and of course uh, London, England, and the Weighty Rum Jordan Desert. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of cool places all over the world. And the Death Star. Yeah. Looks... I was hoping, yeah, we got it. Yeah, we got to get into Death Star. Yeah. Um, I just love the fact that they modeled it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, this goes to Gareth Edwards' visual prowess as a director. We saw the Death Star in ways never before. We've seen it, we, it because it's in space, it could be upside down. In relation to orbit to a planet, how it, and I just loved the way the Death Star looked. Um, you can tell that there was some there was some physicality to it because it just wasn't all CG. Um, you find some things about use of massive LED panels, massive LED uh, panels, lighting. 
um, that they use, which were regarded as feature of lighting within filmmaking due to how relatively easy they are to work with, uh, supplied by VER, a leading LED company. Um, but 20 by 20 boxes used <laughs> to illuminate. Um, and they also use this um, method in gravity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that works so well, obviously, lighting George Clooney and Sandra Bullock in absolutely. that film that they applied it to this Oh, film. absolutely. Um, I, I think it was very interesting. The cool thing, I actually did read a story that I didn't know of, but I think big, big, avid Star Wars fans may not know this, so forgive me for learning this late. Um, but the the original models that they used for Death Star um, back for A New Hope back in 1977, that those models... And everything were put into a big con- storage unit that mm-hmm. actually got sold off because no one, um, they didn't think that they would use it anymore. And so they they auctioned it off and now it's <laughs> part of this big museum. But yeah. the fact, they didn't have the models anymore right. to film and use that. So they had to recreate basically everything from the beginning. And I respect that. I actually, like, again... Going back to the practicality of using models for special effects, um, we've talked about this before. It gives a physicality that that somehow, for all our grandeur in technology and film and digital filmmaking, there is something about they haven't yet been able to fully develop like light reflection off of a hard surface. But the model can. It just captures it differently or absorbs it differently. And you can tell. And when they blow something up, too, you can sort of kind of, you sort of get the sense of that. And I just love going back to using model makers again because I think it's a great synergy. You can use models and you can use CG to enhance certain things, mm-hmm. but your basis is an actual physical thing. And it just makes it look great. It did. And the Death Star looked scary because it looked bigger. And I think this might be, you know, cinematography and just camera angles that kind of make it look more menacing than it was. I was more afraid of the Death Star in this film than I wasn't in A New Hope. Mm -hmm. Because they, I think it was just the creation of literally seeing it being put together. Uh The final pieces literally coming together like a puzzle. Uh, and knowing the capabilities of what it had and just the test runs that they were using, not even the full process of destroying planets, but the test runs and what the impact it did on the planets and killing everyone within that you know mm-hmm. diameter of what it hit on the planet yeah. was scary. Mm-hmm. was scary. I mean, even on Force Awakens when they were blowing three planets at mm-hmm. a time, mm-hmm. this was scary, just seeing the slow visual of the yeah. the... The world's the land literally collapsing, scorching, yeah, on itself. Yeah, you know my favorite re- my favorite ship reveal was it was Darth Vader's star destroyer. There uh, was a great scene where it's coming at you out from like shadows, and as soon <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's Darth Vader's <laughs> star destroyer." It looked great, and it it me it 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 got the entrance that it deserved. Um, you know, Darth Vader is here. So, um, if it's okay, let's. I want to talk a little bit about Darth Vader. Sure. And and again, some fantastic fan service. We talked about Mustafar, uh, his scene with Krennic. There was another, again, visually great scene towards the end of the movie when he's tracking down the data card, and uh, we've got the um, the rebels, the, the 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 ship rebels, 
and it's all dark. And then you hear the breathing and they're just like looking around because it's all dark. And then when the lightsaber snaps on, all it is is red. And you saw Darth Vader there. You're like, oh, uh. <laughs> this is the kind of, you know, people. He's just. It was very. It was a very badass scene. As fans, we know how badass Darth Vader can be. I actually wanted more of him. I wanted him to be hunting down like the rebels. Like they've given him such great uh, credence in the comic books. Where we actually see him using the force. He dispatches an at-at walker. Like, he mm. keeps it from stepping on him with the force. And then he starts to, like, dismantle the legs of the thing. That I wanted to see stuff like that. I mean, him, like, slicing these rebels down. Throwing them up on the ceilings and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. It's a great scene in the movie. I wished... He was utilized a little bit more because he is the Emperor's attack dog. The Emperor says, sick him. He goes out and he sicks him mm-hmm. above and beyond his, almost to almost to glee, uh, in effect. But yeah, Darth Vader's presence in this movie was, was the cool kind of things that fans would like to see. Uh, yeah, I think it was an awesome just reveal of his character because, and I you got to remember, like, in... Back then, and like the the form, the actual physical fighting form wasn't as precise as it was back then. And I liked how this one, with as early on in now the canon of Darth Vader, that I truly believed this particular performance because it's like, yeah, that's how Darth Vader would move. He would chokehold everybody and slice and dice them one by one. Um, in the hall, just going down. It, it's like I felt bad for every single rebel that was up against him because they had no, no hope, <laughs> literally, of survival yeah, against Darth was... Vader. I think <laughs> the physicality now, how he moved, and the fluidity of his movements. I truly believe Darth Vader. That's was his fighting style. Yeah. I think it was cool. It was short and super sweet. Yeah. Super sweet. <laughs> it was. It was, well, it was sweet. Yeah, it was, it was the, cool. the, the relay race of death. I mean, yeah. And and you know, he was like force pulling people onto the saber. He was pushing people up onto the ceiling. He was force strangling like, people and the fist clench fist. I'm like, yeah, Darth Vader. Yeah, you're he, badass right now. You're actually we should not be rooting for you, but you're cool. Yeah, it just uh, uh, look as the thing, I wanted more. Of his badassery, because well, we're gonna get more great. films. So. Well, I, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but it was, it, it was great to see. But again, I go to why was that ship docked there? Um, because he could theoretically, he could force pull that ship. I mean, he does it to the star. He does it on Star Tours. If you're part of the, if you're in the Star Tours speeder and you get the scene where Darth Vader comes down to look for the rebel spy in your in your Star Tours uh, speeder, again it would be too easy. He 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 force pulls that. It would be too easy. I know, but that's what writers are supposed to think of these. They're supposed to think of better ways. Well, you don't know if they actually did think about it <clears throat> next that idea. Hey, yeah, that's so. that, that's true. It could be on the cutting room floor, which I'm very interested in. I wonder if we'll ever get to see those alternate takes. I wonder if they'll have the courage enough to put stuff that they cut out. 
Um, yeah, like what? How much really did get changed? Yeah, due to all the, they said it was up to forty percent of the film had to be reshot <laughs> in June two thousand sixteen. This was six months ago. Mm-hmm. Almost half this movie was reshot and re-edited into this for delivery in six months. Yeah, for such a big movie to take on that amount. Is ridiculous. Yeah, the only the only other movie that comes to mind was World War Z, where they literally had to reshoot the last literally about forty percent of that movie. They they reshot like the entire, uh, yeah, they shot like the entire last quarter or so of that movie uh, because that too had a different ending uh, as well. But I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. Um, you know, what pressures that puts on cast, crew, and director, of course. But somebody else who put a lot of pressure on because there was lots going on. Uh, we'll segue into music. Uh, Mike, well, oh, go sorry, ahead. Just a no, little no, no. bit more about the editing. Sure. The VFX, because okay. I think we'd be remiss without it. Uh, VFX, though, um, obviously there was a lot of shots. There were over 1,600 VFX <laughs> shots. For this film, that's pretty, that's pretty steep. But, of course, the big character that i didn't really expect but didn't realize how much cgi he was tarkin mm-hmm. tarkin um they hired guy henry who's actually a 56 year old british actor to play tarkin because he kind of had the same physical appearance and the jawline was kind of similar to um the original actor who actually died back in 1996 I think it might have been 94, 94 or 96, back right. in the 90s. Um, but they, they hired him to be the CGI double. Mm-hmm. And they CGI'd, they, they VFXed, <laughs> all that. They, they made him look like Tarkin, the original. Actor. Yeah, and, and this has been getting a lot of talk. And I want to throw it out to you, to the fans out there. Uh, IndieWire had... Um, an interesting thing. It said Rogue One, Peter Cushing, dead special. Our, it basically said our special effects ethical. And one of the things that it pointed out to is um, it's a current movie. It's a movie that's out right now. Uh, Jackie. Natalie Portman uh, yeah. plays Jackie out. <clears throat> and she's not in this film. No, she's not. <laughs> she's not in this movie. Padme's dead. But the, but the question arises, why not just like why not just hire an actor with some physical and facial attributes and maybe add some prosthetics? Like, is it a good idea to digitize some, an actor's face so that it looked like Peter Cushing, um, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch in the imitation game. There's no, you know, they're, they're, they're actors. They're supposed to act. Uh, I believe um, it could have been at the very end of uh, revenge of the Sith. There was an actor who played Tarkin, and I'm not sure that they digitized a face over him. But I just wonder, are you pro or con what they did? Because they also did it with another beloved character, Princess Leia. Yes, they did. Okay. <laughs> she, I didn't, she looked, I didn't, she, there was one mm. of her eyes, something was wrong. Tarkin, I thought they good did enough. a good <laughs> job, but it made me wonder, was it necessary other than just hiring an actor? To play Tarkin and just have him act. What are, what are your thoughts? 
I think it was necessary to have the character because <clears throat> it makes sense in storytelling. I think had they hired an actor that kind of looked like him, but drastically you can tell he did. He was not Peter Cushing. I think it would be a disservice to Peter Cushing because he did, for the short amount of time that he was on screen for the earlier original films, he played a vital role. People know of his character. Sure. So it's going to be hard to whoever they're hiring to replace that or be the equivalent of that character. Because, I mean, recast... Usually, a lot of people always immediately shoot down recasts um, to play the same kind of person, and it's just going to get disliked. So, I think I understand why they did the CGI to just add the character and add him into the story to make sense and how it connects to the next one. Right, I, and I have no problem with having the character in the movie. I just, I just wonder if they just might have been better service to just have an actor that resembles. Um, Peter Cushing, and then with various prosthetics, you can look him, make him, make him look a little bit more like Peter Cushing. I mean, Other the actress who played through... Mon Mothma really looked like her. Exactly. So, like, I, I can understand it's, that, but but I they think... also did it with some of the X-wing pilots, some of which who are deceased as yeah. well, and that would be a little bit easier because they're, they they got a helmet on. And whatnot, and you can tell that you the can voice kind of get away right, with right. a little bit. I, I just wondered, like, why was it necessary? And to the people who watch this, is it necessary that they had to CG over Guy Henry's face, body, to give him Peter Cushing's appearance? Would you bought Grand Moff Tarkin played by an, another actor uh, who they would find, and that's the casting department's job to find? That person with the same gait, the same height, and, and facial features that makeup can touch up. It's very interesting. And you sort of kind of feel that this guy, Henry, you know, he was very gracious, according to Edwards. He goes, you know, and praised him for taking on the role. Essentially, he's doing this big performance and getting zero credit for it. He was totally replaced and then had to keep it secret. Like, he mm. had to keep the entire thing secret. It's even worse. Yeah. So, uh, as Gareth Edwards says, that was a big ask. So, I do credit um, Guy Henry for doing what he did. I just wonder if it was necessary. I don't know. I think this is a debate that that can go on because how easily can somebody be replaced? And do we want to replace people who are who are who have passed away with with CG likeness? You know, it's just yeah. interesting to me. It didn't really bother me <clears throat> as much. I was like, I'm glad Tarkin was in the in the story. I'm glad he it, was in the story. It made as well. sense. I was more sure. surprised with Leia's digital <laughs> yeah. re redoing on on that. Um, yeah. That bothered me more, and she was on screen for less amount of time. Yeah. Than Tarkin, but yeah. yes. Moving on to music, uh-huh. Michael Giacchino. I know you are a big fan of him. Mm-hmm. The Interesting thing, this is the first live-action film in the official Star Wars canon not to be scored by John Williams. Yes. And we've talked uh, score before, uh, Michael G. and Kino. And and to be honest with you, if somebody's going to pick up the baton from John Williams, I think there's only one of really two people who've proven that um, they could do that job, do that service. And one of them is Giacchino. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he did Jurassic World, which is a John Williams score. The other person is a guest that we've had on here. His name is John Ottman. And he did Superman Returns. And his score 
was so lovingly uh, embraced John Williams' original Superman score, which is an iconic score. John Williams has made so many iconic scores and movies that we can relate to as an audience member, young or old. Mm-hmm. He's a living legend. It truly is. So Giacchino just has, you know, I mean, he's worked with J.J. Abrams. The guy did Lost with J.J. Abrams. You know, he's done a lot of Disney, a lot of Pixar, The Incredibles and such. And he did Tomorrowland, which is actually one of my favorite scores of his, Tomorrowland and Super 8. And again, when you listen to Super 8, if Super 8 is a, isn't a John Williams homage for a score, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty well done and very well done. As much as, like I said, Ottman's score to uh, homage to Superman, when, and again, this is another one of those things where we had a person who left the project. It was Alexander Desplat. Yeah, who you're also a big fan of. Who worked with Gareth Edwards on Godzilla. Mm-hmm. So it you know it made sense that Gian, he would bring him over. Yeah, Gian Kino got involved late into the actual post production. Four weeks, four weeks he was given to 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 compose amidst crazy changes going on. Now I will say because I had been listening to Giacchino's score and while uh, it's it's a good score and he definitely there's nuances to the original pulls in John Williams for sure. Uh, you know, the score is Rogue One. Um, he uses, you could tell, like, he uses the timpani, the way he uses his horns is very similar to how Williams uses his score in the Star Wars movies, um, you know, up to Force Awakens. Uh, I think he did a commendable job, given the time that he had to do it in. Um, you know, it is it is a Star Wars soundtrack, my one thing, again, if you're trying to set yourself apart so much and be a Star Wars story, you know, I know in this score, purposely, there are things like Luke Skywalker's theme and thrown in. And I just wonder if he didn't have enough time to craft, if it was done on purpose. I, I just found it very interesting. But it does sound, if you close your eyes and listen to the score and you didn't know that it was Giacchino, you would think that it was John Williams. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was that it was done in such that that, you know, it was almost like the London Symphony is right there. And he did a, you know, considering his time constraint, he pulled it off. He did. Yeah. I mean, I was listening to it earlier, like we opened up with <clears throat> one of the scores and it does sound like John Williams. I think he made it close enough to be recognizable that everyone can easily tell that this is a Star Wars movie um but it's also different in its own right Mm -hmm. in a good way it shows its individuality Mm -hmm. and also it sounds lower like lower in an octave Mm -hmm. tonally and a little sounds darker Mm -hmm. uh we've mentioned it before at the beginning of the movie you're expecting this kind of bombastic theme and we didn't get that yeah we didn't get that set the movie itself as a completely Mm -hmm. different Mm -hmm. tonally movie yeah I, i will say this um my one little, my one little, say, knock on the score is that in the John Williams Star Wars movies, uh, whether it be New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Jedi, Force Awakens, there's usually at least one piece of the score that, like, outside of the main title, Star Wars, there's another piece that, like, you can listen to without seeing and go... Oh, that's the Tie Fighters attacking the Millennium Falcon. Oh, that's the, that's that's the that's the battle on Hoth. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Endor. That's the Moon of Endor. Ba- like 
he really what what Williams done does masterfully is he will he will write these suites for specific scenes that that become iconic that that becomes so recognizable to Star Wars fans and even in Force Awakens this score on uh, the multi- multiple times that I'm listening to it there are some score that there's there's some music in there that tries to achieve that level but it hasn't quite yet stuck with me yet um but regardless it's you know given the time constraint he had replacing somebody and doing a new uh, you know you have to give give the guy credit (laughs) yes definitely give him credits uh thank you everyone in the live chat logan ferguson says i remember the imperial march at the end when vader is staring at the escaping blockade runner you know so there were moments in this film where you can definitely tell the music um was there but it's interesting too because the imperial march doesn't show up until empire strikes back yeah so but you heard it when Darth vader was on screen yes um, his his iconic music when he walks And again, in. you know, John Williams. <laughs> yeah. And of course, we got to a little bit talk about the cameos and the Easter eggs in this film. Absolutely. It is Star Wars, and now, and that obviously odes and has nuances to the other films that have pre-established uh, before this film. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> what I thought was uh, interesting was we had uh, Dr. Evazan <laughs> and Ponda Baba yep. um, also in that market on Jedi. I was like, Jedi. oh, I know who yeah, you is. are. Yep. You're going to have a tussle yeah, it's a later sw- on in the cartina. Yeah. yeah, it's a small cantina. world after all, as Disney it says. Is. And yeah, you know that he's probably going to Tatooine shortly after he left mm-hmm. Jedi, right? Cantina. Stay away yep. from Obi-Wan. And so. and and then we, we had a few others. Of course, we mentioned Darth Vader's castle. But Mon Mothma asked Bail right. Organa to get Obi-Wan, who mm-hmm. we definitely know. Yep. And then there when there was a moment when Jinmin and Cassian were going through all the data files, finding the one that they needed. One of the projects was named Black Saber, mm-hmm. which was... Uh, it's connection. It's a weapon wielded by the Mandalorians characters in both the Clone Wars and, and the Rebels. Rebels. Um, so you want to? Yeah, well, Rebels too. Well, Rebels gets a lot of props in this movie from an Easter egg. It does. Thing. The other, the other thing that you know from an Easter egg from a geeky thing is um, the blue milk. Blue milk. Yeah, I definitely you noticed know, that too. You know the blue milk. That does not look in, in tasty. <laughs> Here is my question. Where was Wedge Antilles? Ah, Where is West Wedge Antilles? Yeah. He's become... He's a fan favorite from the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, always by Luke Skywalker's side uh, in his trusty X-Wing. Uh, and you would figure he would factor in... We hear of the Antilles family. We hear of Captain Antilles. Mm-hmm. But I just wonder... I mean, I had heard stories about the actor was sort of a pain in the neck. And uh-huh. and stuff and I don't know, but where was Wedge? That's a good question. Hashtag where's Wedge? <laughs> where's Wedge? <laughs> um, I don't know. I I think it would be nice to have his character appear on screen when Luke is on screen because they were good friends. So it kind of makes sense if Luke is around that Wedge would be around, but Luke is not around. Yeah, but Wedge is part of the. He's, I get he's that. a rebel pilot. Yeah, I get that. <clears> um, but... It was just uh, it was just interesting. Um, but speaking of the other pilots, we also had the Garvin Dress and John Vander Red from the and Red Leaders. and Gold Leaders. 
um, in their respective X-Wings and Y-Wing squadrons yep. in the Alliance. I, I like that. They they lived to fight another day on Scarif, but ultimately Ultimately, died. yeah. They meet Battle their deaths. Yavin. It was, uh, you know, it was, as a fan, it was cool to see more of the Y-Wing bombers in action. Yeah. Doing what they do best, which is bombing. Um, so it was it was a lot of fun uh, to, to to see that in the dogfighting going on, seeing seeing those ships in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and again, Gareth Edwards, like he positioned the camera in such a way that led to a realism. Like it felt like he put a GoPro in the cockpit <laughs> of an X wing. You know, it felt times, like you were there, and you did. It was like okay, I've not seen that before. That was pretty cool. Like, he did. And again, that was definitely a fan service. And it was like a fan who, like, this is what I would like to be. I would like to see, like, I would like to be in the cockpit. And, and, and the way he visually shot certain things, I saw them from a different vantage point that, as of yet, in the series of Star Wars movies, I haven't seen. So he offered something new. Still really fun and new to watch. Absolutely. And also we had a Red 5 dies in this film too which opens the opportunity for luke to take that place mm-hmm. if that makes sense um i enjoyed that and it, another thing that i found out that members of the british armed forces were hired as extras in this film oh cool yeah to, to you know to fill the whole back um but yeah i, I enjoyed the the whole squadrons because it makes sense that they should be part them. of it the, yeah. you got the whole rebels involved yeah. um <clears throat> I really, and then Gareth Edwards, the director, had a cameo himself in this film. Mm-hmm. No one really knows where. So you got to watch this film a few times to maybe point him out. Because he still won't tell people like <laughs> what exact scene he was in. So you really have to like look for him. If anybody is watching right now, I bet you they know. Yeah. I bet if, you they spotted him. If anyone him. you spotted him yet. I'm um, putting money tons. down like in the bazaar on Jeddah. Mm-hmm. That, that's right. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, Wiley, really interesting. Sneaky but director. Getting into the box office, this movie is making incredible numbers. Uh, with the 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 budget, it's two hundred million. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I would say that with the amount of marketing and hard drives and advertising, I gotta say that it's broaching two seventy five when you're all in. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, the marketing I don't think it was as big as maybe Force Awakens, but it was pretty damn big. And their their tie ins to uh is it the Nissan Rogue? I believe that like like yeah. stuff like that. Um, they have a lot of you know, crossover promotion doing that. They've been on pretty much every sports uh, type of whether it be football, hockey, whatever, you know, they're buying, they, they bought lots of advertising. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, to be nearing 275 all in wouldn't be a big surprise. But yeah, you're right. I mean, domestically, as of yesterday, um, 172 mil. Yeah, that's, I mean, they're already making their money back. Um, and within the, entire franchise so far but right now they're ranked as eighth number eight and this i mean this movie has only been out for about five days now so yes yeah so it's it's definitely moving up really quickly already made its money back and it's it's done big numbers internationally as well yeah we talked a little bit about that and and we should we should point out too just to give a little bit of perspective um 
This movie opened up to $155 million on its opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Force Awakens is still the number one movie. Opened up to $247 million on, on its wonderful opening weekend. Now, Foreign, we've got Foreign thus far, $150 million from foreign box office. That's accounting for about 46% of the box office is coming from our foreign markets. Worldwide, $323 plus million dollars in wow. box. And we're just starting to get into Christmas vacation. Yeah. You know? I more mean, people are going to be free <clears throat> to watch this. More people, uh, they're going to be free to watch it. They're going to make their plans at Christmas time to watch it. All through Christmas vacation. My family Christmas has already vacation. made plans to watch this movie again. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, not too, not too shabby, especially the weekend that they picked. Uh, Christmas this year is on a Sunday. So, you know, Monday weekend. Yeah, it's a weekend. So that helps them. So, you know, going in, you know, they're going to continue to ride a wave um, of just popularity and more people, more and more people who didn't go opening weekend. Uh, I overheard a conversation the other day of uh, people saying, no, I'm waiting. I'm going home. I'm going to see it with my family. I haven't seen it yet. So I'm going to see it on Christmas Day or I'm going to see it that week. So, um, you know, not too shabby. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, an 84 percentile. And, um, but 90 percent audience. Cinema score is an A. Uh, you know, I, I'm not I'm not surprised. Um, Would you give it that? No. No, I, for me, this movie is a two star out of four star movie. Really? Yeah, I just not again, I did five. not like the writing. I did not like the plot pointing, the plot points in this movie, at, like at all. They they just didn't make sense to me. To at least they 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 didn't take, they didn't look at all the angles and specifically too. I just didn't like how they didn't. You know, if transmissions are beamed to the ship, and that is said by your Darth Vader character, transmissions should be being beamed to the ship. That ship should be not at dock. So a ship get you know, and the, that ship gets blown up. Vader's a badass. Vader witnessed it, so he knows better that the that they weren't beamed any transmissions. He saw it, but that it's it's a fan stickler thing that they had. It's it's they can't change. I don't know. Maybe they'll Luca, Lucasfy it, and they'll change that dialogue in yet another special edition of Star Wars and New Hope. I don't I know. I think it's just like the idea <clears throat> that Darth Vader knows that important information about the Death Star was given to someone, and it's in the hands of someone that it should not be in. Yeah, it's just very specific dialogue in Star Wars. But um, look, the movie is going to continue. Um, you know, potentially you can get a score. Academy nomination. Potentially, you can get visual effects mm-hmm. Academy Award nomination. It's a sound mixing, sound editing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, listen, the, it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. Who cares? I mean, the movie is going to continue to make money, and they're going to continue to, you know, sell the merchandising. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the toys are going to be big hits at Christmas time for the kids and adults mm-hmm. as well. Uh, you know, there there are just as many adults who love to get these toys and collect all oh, this stuff, yeah. and I collect I this some. stuff too. I have plenty, of, you know, I have plenty where I live. So, you know, releasing them at Christmas time is a nice Christmas gift for the family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that again, it 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 doesn't border on nostalgia. It is nostalgia because the the, the parents grew up watching Star Wars. Now they have their kids who've been watching this on Blu-ray and. 
They've been taking them to the movies. So it is a, you know, family togetherness time to take sons and daughters to the movie to go see Rogue, you know, to go see Rogue One over the holiday season. Yeah. I do think it's family friendly. A lot of people are saying that it's not. What do you, let me, what are your thoughts? There have been so many people that saying, I wouldn't take my kids to this. I would. I think they say this almost about since we've been to the I guarantee you, your kids have seen worse. <laughs> like, or like, you know, like more violent. I mean, there were some moments where it could be violence. A lot of people are getting blown up. But it's shown in a way where it's not gratuitous. It's not over the top. You see blood spurting everywhere. Like you, we see in some movies like 300. You know, it's, it's not like overly done with the violence. It's just you can understand that this is a war going on. You see more violent stuff in Saving Private Ryan and Patton. Like I can name all these war movies. And I, I think with this one, it is it is, it is a family-friendly movie because the story is PG-13. easy to follow. Uh-huh. The language isn't terrible. No, no, not um, at all. And, it's like, and a lot of people can relate to this because it covers different demographics. It covers different minorities. Definitely a family film. Yeah, I mean... I, it, it has a rewatchability uh, factor. Yeah, and, and again, I just think that, I don't know, if you can watch Anakin Skywalker saber younglings... Uh, you know, I mean, that's pretty dark, too. And and that was the movie. Revenge of the Sith was the first Star Wars movie that started this. Oh, my God. Do I want to take my kids to it? Because, And I'm like, if they watched Revenge of the that. Sith, they're fine with with. They're, I think they're going to be fine mm-hmm. with this movie. You know, so I had a conversation yesterday. He wanted he goes, is, is it too young for my three year old? I go, what do you let your three year old watch? He goes, he's first of all, for all... a three year old, maybe he says he's, he's watched... not going to understand <clears throat> anything. He says he's watched all the Star Wars movies. Yeah, but they're not going to understand. I go, did anything. he? Did he? You can watch like this him? as a preteen teenager and sure. be fine. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I'd have no problems recommending this movie anyone yeah i mean i was asking i'm like listen if he's watched them and you've allowed to to watch him and he likes them you're not if he didn't have a problem with some other movies he's not gonna have a problem with this one yeah that's no. my thought um yeah, so it's no. pretty safe um so yeah i think what, what else is there anything else is there anything on the fan circuit that 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 you know they want to discuss or maybe we didn't touch upon yeah um people in the live chat are agreeing with us they say you know uh, Maria Rivera, thank you. My six-year-old niece is a fan of uh, of these movies, and like the and Gregory Castillo says, in in this society, super kid friendly. Yeah, you know? and you get do have to remember this is Disney as well now mm-hmm. for Star Wars, and Disney's kind not going to release a super super terribly violent film either, especially within this franchise. They're going to try to span so many different graphics to watch mm-hmm. and demographics to watch this have, have people because i can't see live chat up uh on our screen here but if people all right rank it where does this movie fall into say your 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 knowledge and, oh and your love or dislike of various star wars movies Making i want to know what right fan, <laughs> well i, I want to know what fans think i mean i, can I would tell actually mine. this is me personally sure i would place this higher than the force awakens see it's not even close for me Really? And again, no. Here, here's Did you my, enjoy Force Awakens more? Oh, oh, hundred times more. Okay. Ray to me is a, and again, yeah, I enjoyed. Force I love Awakens. Ray. I go the original trilogy. Yes. Then Force. Force Awakens. Then I would put this one in, and then, and then I the would prequels. do well. <laughs> but my prequels, I'm going to mix around a little. Okay. I'm going to go Attack, uh, Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones, and sort of kind of go backwards. Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clone, Phantom Menace. 
Okay. That's that's my personal ranking. What, what are, okay, I threw that out there so the fans who might still be online start typing. What no, are your, okay. What's your rankings? Here's, um, what's your ranking? This is personally mine. Um, I would I would put uh, I don't know why, but like uh, Empire Strikes Back is number one. Okay. Return of the Jedi and New Hope. I'd put this. Then I'd put Rogue One. Empire Jedi New Hope. Okay. And then I put Rogue, Rogue One. one. Force Awakens. Force Awakens. And then Revenge of the Sith. And I'd go backwards. You'd with go backwards. Actually, not no. totally backwards. I'd I'd go uh, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, then Attack of the Clones. Interesting. I yeah. wouldn't mind it if you copied me on that, but uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. But you know, so, it's kind of in the same vein. Like, we both have right. the prequels near the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, many yeah, people uh, would. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep, uh, yep, 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 yep. Yeah. But overall, Has thanks for... Has anybody written quickly, uh, like, what they might rank now? Uh, Logan Ferguson says, I rank it as top five. Still got OT and Revenge of the Sith higher. Um, Knight of Ren 789 says this movie is second to Empire Strikes Back. And Gregory Castillo says third or fourth after the Empire and Return of the Jedi. Interesting. Maria Rivera says I would also put this below the original trilogy, the prequels, and The Force Awakens. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you, everyone, for yeah, joining live guys, chat. Yeah, thank you very much, too. Like, this is... Uh, we're not completely and we could, slaughtering you, us in the live you know, chat. You know what we need? You know what we need? We need like a, a like a dedicated phone line. <laughs> I would love to put people on the air. Just oh, like, why not? We like, could. I don't know. We, we got could. the technology. But we're out of time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We are, we, we, we've talked a lot uh, about uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. We want to say thank you very much for your time and patience and, and tuning in with us. Marissa... Uh, well, I'm not going to see you until next year. We're both yeah. going to be off uh, celebrating Christmas, Christmas Festivus, the holidays. Uh, holidays. Yeah. Festivus for the rest of us. So uh, um, I want to wish you... Uh, yeah, we won't see each other until the new year. Till, till the new year. Um, again, um, Marissa, I will say a pleasure again to put... Uh, to be to be able to do this with you for yet another year, mm-hmm. uh, you and I are the originals. Uh, our compatriot Phil couldn't make it today, yeah. but uh, it is our it is my last podcast for the year, unless I can call in from Boston uh, at some point. But uh, thank you, thank yes. you for helping. You know, thank you for helping and and and, and working together with me. Uh, it's it's uh, it's really a pleasure to be. This is an honor to be at this chair to talk movies. Um, to you, the audience who are loyal and you watch us and you comment and you're and you've been getting more like your comments have been more intelligent, less hateful, and you've been very constructive criticism, like dislike. Thank you very much for that. Um, we appreciate it. We have a ton more movies to discuss. We got Academy Award season in movies to, to discuss. Yeah, we do. Um, where can people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Serafini TV. And you can support me on Twitter at, at DMovies1701. I want to wish you all happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, whatever holiday it is that you celebrate. I hope you do it safe with your families and friends and have fun. And uh, let's, let's look forward to 2017. Thank you for sticking with us through 2016. Take care, folks. of a movie staff we would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show if you have any questions or comments feel free to email or tweet us i'm sir richard wentworth and this has been anatomy of a movie